Father in heaven, sometimes life leaves its marks on us, and Lord, we, we tend to look at those and see the things that we've lost. Maybe innocence lost, maybe opportunity lost, maybe time that was wasted, maybe an investment that we'll never get back. And yet, God, so often we fail to notice that in those moments of brokenness, you restored us and brought wholeness. In the moments, Father, when we were falling apart, you were actually leading us to a moment of time that we would be together more than we ever were before. Father, help us to look at the scars that are on our lives and in our hearts and recognize that they're also bearing testimony of your faithfulness. That even when life is difficult, when times are challenging, when things don't go the way we want them to go, that, Father, you are still faithful. And help us to recognize, Father, that you, your, your expertise is in taking that which is broken and discarded and pulling it back together again and making something beautiful out of the ashes, reassembling the pieces in maybe a different way than they were before, but in a way that has even greater beauty and greater usefulness for you and for the kingdom. Father, today we thank you for all the moms that are in the world and the mothers that are a part of this congregation. Whether they be a, a mom of young kids and you're feeling frazzled and, and uh, empty on energy, Lord, and, and thinking this will never end, just help them to realize that this is just a phase and that the things that they're pouring into the hearts and to the lives of those young children are, are going to last with them for a lifetime and give them guidance and direction and security through whatever they face in the future. We pray for the mothers of those uh, kids that are in high school and first years of college that are heading out on their own into a great big world. And it's hard to know sometimes as a parent how much to hold on and how much to let go. And just pray that you would comfort those mothers and give them the words to say and the times to say them with the spirit that would just lead those kids back to you and and recognize, Lord, that even though we stray, that you're a loving Father that's there with arms that are open when we repent and we come back home. I pray for all those moms that maybe their kids have grown up and left home and, and now they're out on their own and they're doing things in the world, Lord. Maybe they have grandkids or great-grandkids and sometimes it can be easy for us to feel like our contribution has been made to the world and our time has passed. Help them to realize, Lord, that that's not true, that they're still... They're still pouring into the hearts of their children and their investment in their kids and their grandkids and great-grandkids will last for generations, Lord. I just pray that as we open your word today, Father, that you might open our hearts to what it is that you have to say to us. We thank you that we have this moment to be together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day again, and I hope that uh, for all of you guys, it is indeed a happy, a happy Mother's Day. Motherhood is just kind of a, a special thing, and I'm glad that we have these moments in, in life where we, we do step aside and say, okay, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna honor a group of people in this particular day. And I think moms and dads are as worthy as almost anyone else of that, of that honor. I, I couldn't help but 
think of when I think of Mother's Day, I, I couldn't help but think of a passage of Scripture. It's found in Luke, the 13th chapter, picking up in verse 34. And, and when you first hear it, you, you might think, well, Jason, it doesn't have anything to do with moms at all. And it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with, with moms of, uh, of, of, of human origin. But, but Jesus is, is looking out over the city of Jerusalem in this moment where he's He's kind of brokenhearted because he's done his best to try to kind of pull people together and, and, and to love these people. And, and as Jesus described them, he saw them like sheep that were without a shepherd. They were harassed. They were helpless. He could see the evil forces that were kind of stirring up family against family and brother against brother. And, and he knows how Satan works and he sees his hand in the culture. And as he's looking out at this group of people, he says these words. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent. How often I would have gathered you together like a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. There's just something special about that, that idea of a mom, isn't there? Jesus is, is trying to come up with some metaphor to kind of explain to us and, and maybe to explain to the people that were around him his feeling for the city of Jerusalem. He said, I, I would just like to do like a, like a mama hen does with her wings when there's a, a danger in the chicken yard. She makes that little cluck, that low cluck, 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 and the little chicks will run right up underneath her wings and she, she covers them from the weather or from whatever is happening in the world. Jesus said, I want to have that kind of shelter and protecting nature over you, Jerusalem. But as you know, Jerusalem wasn't interested in that. They didn't realize that among them was the Son of God that was walking on their very streets, was the greatest man to ever live, and they didn't even recognize it, so much so that they would eventually, uh, they would put him on a cross, which is just, is, is mind-blowing for most of us. There, there's a story one day, four preachers were sitting around and they were talking as preachers do, and you guys might wonder what preachers talk about. It's pretty boring, typically. Um, but the preachers are sitting around, and they're discussing what they think their favorite version of the Bible is. And so one of them says, you know, my, my favorite version of the Bible is the King James Version. Really? Well, King James, yeah. He said, you know, I love how it flows, and it's poetic, and it kind of has this, a lot of verses I memorized, I memorized in the King James Version of the Bible, you know, and he had a lot of good things to say about that. And then they, the guy says, we understand, we understand. Got another guy said, you know, really, the version I prefer is the NIV. It's, it's contemporary in nature. It's kind of modern in its translation. Uh, I, I can follow through with that really well, and it's easy for me to teach out of. And, and they all agreed that he had some valid points as well. And another guy, he, he said, you know, I, I prefer the New American Standard Version of the Bible because the New American Standard Version is so textually accurate. You know, it's just proper. It, if a word means this in the Greek, they use the closest English word to that, and that's so valuable for Bible study, and everyone agreed. That, that each of those versions had their, had their strengths and their weaknesses. And they turned to the fourth guy who is so far very quiet at the table and they said, hey, what, what's your favorite version of the Bible? And he said, I think it's my mom's version. And they're like, we, we weren't aware that your mother was a Bible translator. What, what, what is her version called? You know, was it published? They were, they were curious. I mean, this is, you know, preachers and they learn about a new version of the Bible. They get pretty excited right here. <laughs> and he went on to explain. He said, no, he said, my mother's version wasn't a version like we're talking about. He said, my mo mother's version was the version that she lived. It was a version of the Bible that she, she took in the Word of God, and then she lived it and how she lived her life. And he said, of all the versions of the Bible I've ever read, hers is the most inspirational to me. 
And I think that's by and large true, isn't it, across the board. The Bible is only as good as if somebody takes that in and then implements those principles in their life. And as we begin to live those out, it's something that people can grab onto and catch a hold of. And that's not just for mothers, that's really for all of us. But I understand what that man meant because mothers are constantly sowing seeds, aren't they? They're constantly working in the hearts and in the lives of their kids to kind of sow seeds that will make a difference for the future. I know my mom sowed quite a few seeds in my life as a young man, um, and there are a few things that still, even though it's been 30-some years ago, it's probably almost 40 years ago now, there's certain phrases that my, mom, uh, that my mom would share with me that are just burnt in my mind. Uh, you guys didn't get a chance to know my mom, but my mom was, uh, she was a very different personality than I am naturally. She was a, uh, she was a news- newspaper writer, did a lot of journalism, was an editor for the local newspaper. So my mom was this very exacting sort of person. Everything had to be proper. Grammar had to be right. And the handwriting had to be perfect. Punctuation had to be present. You know, it was just her nature. Everywhere she looked, she kind of had an editorial eye to things. And, and uh, I was, well, I wasn't quite uh, as, as along the line as she would have liked for me to be. Uh, if you don't know, I was adopted. My parents adopted me when, uh, when I was born. And, uh, and so here I show up, and I, I think that uh, there was this kid that was just like everywhere right here. And uh, my mom didn't know exactly what to do with me at first. But she would drill some things into my mind as a kid. I'll never forget that. She would say, Jason, you have got to be responsible. You've got to take care of your own business. No one else is responsible for your things. And those concepts are still things that I hear in my mind uh, even today. I was talking in first, uh, first service. I was prepping for this lesson and I got thinking, you know, really I should have cleaned my desk. Because don't go look right now, guys, but my desk is a mess. I mean, there's papers all over, Bibles, lessons. I, I just, I had one of those weeks last week. And, and uh, when when I was a kid, my mom, second grade year, my mom's good friend, Miss Mary Martin, was my teacher. This is both good and bad. Um, when your mom's friend is your teacher, it's mostly bad, as far as I can tell. Um, but, uh, but my mom's teacher, she sent a note home uh, to my mother with me, and it simply said, Diana, come to school tomorrow. tomorrow. There's something I want to show you. So I took it home, and I'm like, hey, Mom, Miss Mary sent me this note. Oh, someone, do you know what she, no, I don't know. I was hoping she was going to show my mom like an A or something that I had somehow mysteriously gotten on a paper. Uh, but uh, so, so we get to school, and my mom and Mary are, are cutting up, you know, and, and they're having a good time. They're, they're good friends. And, and, Mary, and Mom said, Mary, you wanted to show them? Oh, yes, she said. I, I knew you would just want to see this, Diana. And she took my mom over to my desk, and as we're walking towards the desk, I knew what was about to happen. Uh, because uh, I'm not naturally an organized person, but my mother was meticulously organized. Everything in her house was perfectly, or- perfectly, I tell you, organized. And um, my desk is one of those kinds where you have a little thing underneath and you have a little flappy deal. Do you guys still have those in school? Okay. Yep. And then you stuff stuff, I mean, <clears throat> neatly place stuff inside of that part and you put that thing down. Well, <laughs> I realized that you could just stuff stuff in there and put the thing down, and if you sit on it a little, you can get it to go. And Miss Mary just walked over and said, Diana, I knew you'd want to see this. And she flips the top up, and my desk explodes out of there. And, poof, and uh, my mom's like, Jason, we have got to do something about it. For the next hour of my life, my mom and I are going through my desk drawer. What is, wh- why do you have an old, ba- what, what pin cap, what tool of torture have you made? And she found all my secrets, all the, all the rubber band shooting and, and gumwad uh, shooting devices in my desk. My mom found them, 
Mary and her laughed about that for years. They had a great time at my expense. I'm still sore about it. But uh, every once in a while, when it gets like it is right now, my desk is a mess. It's this funny thing because I'm thinking to myself, I need to clean my desk. Why do I need to clean my desk? Because my mom told me that it was important to have a clean desk, and successful people have a clean desk, right? And even though I'm not successful, I want to be. And so, uh, so I clean my desk. And, and those little seeds that are sown are the, are the kinds of things that grow up in our life all through adulthood. Now, it's true, and we should say on the onset this morning that we can sow good seeds in the lives of kids, but we can also sow bad seeds in the lives of kids. And we're going to take a look this this morning at a story from the Old Testament of a mom who chooses to sow good seeds in the heart of her son, so much so that he decides that he's going to write about it. So if you have your Bibles with me, uh, with you today, I have mine with me, but if you have yours with you, turn with me to Proverbs 31. And, And some of you are like, hey, that sounds familiar, Proverbs 31, because that's where the virtuous woman is. And we've heard a lot of lessons and there's books written about that. And, and we all wonder who can find her, right? Because that's what the psalmist or the writer of Proverbs says right there. Um, she's hiding. But, uh, but I'm not looking at the virtuous woman. That's a fantastic text, right? There's a lot of great material in there. And it's often preached about. I want to look, look at what precedes that. Because I think that this virtuous woman that King Lemuel is writing about in the second half of Proverbs 31 is the woman that wrote to him in the first half of Proverbs 31. And we're not certain who this King Lemuel is. Uh, Some Bible scholars think that uh, Solomon is somehow writing in the third person, although that seems unlikely. Most people think that this King Lemuel is a guy who lived a little bit farther east in Arabia. And he was a fairly, if it's who they think it is, he was a fairly predominant king, fairly successful kind of guy right here. So, uh, So as he's writing this, He's writing this as a conversation that his mother had had with him. So we're going to pick up in verse number one of Proverbs 31. And and the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So he said, this is a lesson that I learned from mom. And it starts off like so many of my mom's oracles to me. What are you doing, my son? Right? <laughs> uh, this is where I immediately knew that, that King Lemuel and I had something in common. What exactly are you doing? I, I don't think she meant that quite like that. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Now, you should just know if, you're, if you've never heard this before. This is Proverbs. This is a little poetry right here. There's a little repetition. This is kind of prose a little bit, all right? But in this, there's some really good material for us to get, catch a hold of. This is a mom giving advice to her son who happens to be a king. And so she says, what are you doing? I want you to think about where your life is going. That's really what she's asking him right here. Then she reminds him that you're my son. I gave birth to you and you are, your father and I are your parents. That's kind of what she's doing with that little, little, little section at the beginning. Then in verse three, she says, <clears throat> do not give your strength to women or your ways to those who destroy kings. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He's not, she's not downing women right there, but she's talking about a specific kind of woman that was going to cause problems to her son. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and they forget what has been decreed and they pervert the rights of all of those who are afflicted. Give strength, strong drink to the one who is perishing or wine to those who are in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all those who are desolate. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. So we're going to 
talk about three things that this mom does here that's just really kind of great advice. Whether or not you're a mother in this room today, these are three things that we want to kind of press in to the hearts and to the minds of younger people as they begin to make that transition from being a child to being an adult. Now, her son has kind of a special position. As we've already said, this young man is now the king of a nation, and we don't know how old he was, but this is a special thing about a mom. No one else in the world can have the kind of conversation that Lemuel's mother is about to have with him, right? Anyone else in the world, he might, he might say, I want you out of my sight. I'm going to banish you from my country. I'm going to have your, con- your tongue cut out. But this is Lemuel's mother, and he has to listen to her, right? And so she gives him such good advice, and he appreciates that. We'll look at this in a moment. Um, but she, he calls it an oracle or a, a burden or a heavy word. What she's t- saying to her son is something that comes from deep inside, this isn't advice like maybe your mom gives you, like, like make sure you don't wash your new red shirt with your white t-shirt. You know, those are, those are great bits of advice, and we've all done that, and we've ended up with red socks for five years. Um, but, uh, but that's not this kind of advice. This is heartfelt advice where she's going to her son, and she's saying, listen to me. This is the difference between success and failure. This is the difference between accomplishing something important and becoming a failure like so many others have before you. She's literally saying, pay attention. Watch what I'm talking about here, son. You're the one I love. I gave birth to you. Pay attention to what I say next. And so here are the three lessons that Lemuel's mother tries to convey to him. And these are three important lessons. If you're a student in here today, these are three really important lessons that the Bible wants to reinforce to you. If you're the parent or grandparent or friend of young people in this room, these are three really important lessons that we want to communicate to them. And the first one is this, that there is a great deal of power in good relationships. So she starts off talking and and she says, um, after she's introduced herself and said, listen, kid, I gave birth to you. You got to pay attention to me, right? She said, don't spend your energy on women or your efforts on those who destroy kings. Now, she's not wanting her son to become a confirmed bachelor here, so don't misunderstand what she's saying. But there was a tendency among kings in those days, and this is written roughly in the era of King Solomon. And if there's a lot of things you might forget about King Solomon, most people don't forget that he had to distinguish, uh, I don't know if it's distinguished or not, but he, he, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. My math's not really good, but I think that's about 900 women that he had amassed uh, that, were his, that were his harem, right? So, so this mother is talking to her young son, and she's saying, that is a really bad idea. For one thing, it's demeaning to women because it would just, they just kind of became a possession of the great king, right? He kind of put them up on his shelf like, trophy, like trophies in a trophy case right here. But, but also she realized that, that there's a lot of energy that goes into that. Notice what she says. Don't spend your energy on women. Now, she wasn't saying that she didn't want her son to have a wife and to raise a family. But what she was saying is don't chase empty, foolish things, Lemuel. All of us, no matter who we are in this room this morning, some of us have a lot more energy than others, right? But some of us uh, have come to the realization that uh, we don't have near as much energy as we used to. All of us have a limited or finite amount of energy. We only can do so much in a given day. We only have so much time to accomplish things. And what are we going to use those on? 
She did not want Lemuel to be like Samuel and just collect a bunch of women to impress the neighbors on how great of a king he was. She wants something more and something deeper out of her son. And she goes on to say, or, or those who destroy kings. Anytime that you have power, anytime that you have talent or ability, there are people that are attracted to that and they're not attracted to help you become a better ruler or to become a, a better performer. They're there to get something from you. They're there to take something from you, right? And she's warning Lemuel to be careful about the kind of relationships that he puts in his life. I don't know if you guys are like me. I, I love biographies. Right? I'm a little bit of a nerd about that, but I like to read biographies. I love to hear stories of people. One of the things that I got a kick on a few years ago was I started reading several stories of child stars, kids that, you know, were young, and they, they, they made a place in a movie. Uh, some of you who are really old remember Judy Garland, all right? And Judy Garland was the star. She was Dorothy in, uh, in The Wizard of Oz, right? She grew up uh, in a town where I planted a church in northern Minnesota. I worked with a bunch of people to plant a church in northern Minnesota, Grand Rapids, Minnesota. It was kind of like this, this uh, play. Everything was Judy Garland in, in that town. Uh, and Judy Garland grew up this sweet little girl, and then she became very successful, and her life really just kind of spiraled out of control, sort of like Marilyn Monroe and a lot of these people. And, and, and the problem for most of them is, is, is not just them, but it's the people that are attracted to them, the people that become the people they have the closest relationships with. Those people often are using them for their own personal gain. And Lemuel's mother knew that those kind of people existed in the world. She knew there were going to be women that were just going to try to kind of curry favor with him so that they could manipulate him. And the Bible's full of those stories. Back to the story of Solomon, it says in the Bible that when Solomon grew old, that his many foreign wives pulled his heart away from God, right? So they had diluted his faith because of their influence. Um, but she also knew that there were plenty of, of men that were going to do the same thing. So she's warning him to make sure that his relationships are appropriate. Now you might say, well, Jason, okay, this is great. We've got Lemuel. He's a king, and he's got a mom that cares that he doesn't waste his influence in his life. But my kids are never going to be kings, you're probably right. Um, there's not very many kings left in the world, and the ones that are are just kind of figureheads. But someday, probably a lot of your kids are going to graduate from high school. Some of them are going to go to college. They're going to get a job. Some of them might run for public office and gain some political job. Who knows? But they're going to be people that have a life to invest. They're going to be people that have energy to contribute and to give to the world. And the question really is, what are they going to do with that opportunity? That's what's burning a hole in Lemuel's mom's heart. She knows that her son has been given this great privilege, but what's he going to do with it? Is he going to just do like every other king and get a big old harem and get a bunch of people that just say, oh, you're, may, oh king, may you live forever, like, like he's going to live forever, right? And just kind of create this group of people that think he's a star and the most awesome person, but they're taking from him and from his ability to change and do good in the world? Or was Lemuel going to be different? And this mother was determined that she wanted her son to see the world differently, and she was going to do everything in her power to make it so. The question for all of us when we have a relationship with younger people is this, how will they use the power and the privilege of their lives to change the world? What will they do with that? 
And she wanted to know what that was, and I think, that, uh, I think that's an important question for all of us. I think she was also worried about the kind of people that got placed in her son's life permanently. I, she wanted to make sure that those people that were in his life permanently were there to do good as well. And I think that's kind of a concern of most of us. As parents, I know it's my concern. As a parent, I think as general church family, we always kind of worry about who younger people are dating and what kind of influence that has because we know. I've been in student ministry for years and I've had the privilege to kind of be able to step back from that um, and mentor some guys that are doing an amazing job. But I- I've seen that happen <laughs> over and over again. Where you maybe, maybe you have a kid that's not making really good choices, but they get into a mix of students that are making good choices and all of a sudden they start, they start making a whole lot different kind of choices in life. Or maybe the inverse is true. You have a kid that's just really been solid and makes good decisions in life and they slip into a group of friends that really are not making good decisions and all of a sudden that good decision-making ability of theirs uh, begins to wane. They begin to struggle. It's because the people that we're closest associated to have a profound effect on who we are, right? And, and so what are some ways that we can make sure that in dating world that young people pick a good spouse, a good husband, a good wife. Um, and moms, I think you guys have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of influence in this way. Uh, I, know, uh, I know when I was dating my, my wife, or my, when I was dating my wife, my mom on a couple occasions sat down and asked me some hard questions because she wanted to make sure I had thought through the decision I was making. So um, one thing is, and if you're filling out the blanks, I don't have slides for these because for some reason I forgot. Maybe it's uh, old age. Um, but, um, but there are blanks in your papers. So the first blank is model what marriage is supposed to be. Now, none of us have a perfect marriage here, and I get that. You'd be like, Jason, I'm not perfect. You're right. But that's what, not what marriage is supposed to be. Marriage never was set about to be perfect. It's two imperfect human beings trying to work together. So there's going to be people who fail, and when you fail, readily admit that you fail. There's going to be times where you need to ask for forgiveness, and when you do, do that in a public way, especially if the kids saw that failure or saw you lose control of your temper, whatever the case is. Apologize to your spouse because that sets some groundwork, that sows some seeds in the heart of those young people that this is how marriage works. My dad's not right all the time. My mom's not right all the time. God is the one that's right all the time. But they're working to become more like him. And sometimes they mess up. And when they do, they make amends to one another. That's a super powerful lesson. We need to learn that. And if you have that kind of environment at home, it's a perfect place for kids to learn that. Number two, um, if you're a, a parent that really wants to kind of press into your kid's heart the kind of person they want to surround themselves with, especially in marriage, is give them a picture of what they should be looking for. We talk about that. Like, like these are good things in a spouse. These are, these are things that maybe you want to watch out. If you're, if you're a mom in here today, and let me just talk to you guys real quick. If you're a mom in here today with, with young men uh, in, in your household, it's a really, really good opportunity for you maybe to, to talk to your guys about how girls think and, and, and tell them, hey, you know what? You might think one thing, but I see something else in this person. And here's what I'm talking about. Those are good conversations, not running people down, but just talking about, I would worry about this guy. 
Well, why do you worry about that guy, Dad? He's, or Mom, he's cute. Well, here's why. Because X, Y, and Z, right? And inversely, dads, um, uh, if you have daughters, I think that's super important for you to have that kind of relationship as well. Talk with the girls and say, you know what? I know that guy looks like he's just a really awesome dude, but I don't like how he does this, this or the other thing. Or he does this very, very well. You should look at this. Those are good conversations to have. Give young adults a picture of what they're looking for. And the third thing is, Teach them to be patient and find security in Christ. Lemuel's mom believes that his purpose is bigger than just to be the king of a nation. She sees for her son a vision that's far bigger than him just sitting on a, on a throne with, with surrounded by a bunch of pretty ladies and a bunch of advisors that look impressive. She wants her son to actually do something to change the world. And we're going to look at this in a moment. And because of that, she says, look, this is what I want for you. I don't want you to find your security in people or in the stuff that you accumulate or the people that you gather around you because that's never going to work. I want you to find your security in something deeper. She was an Old Testament character, but we know that in the New Testament, that person is Christ. We want to teach students to find their purpose and their meaning for life, not in the relationships that they have, but in the relationship that they have with Jesus Christ. Because once you get all that figured out, then the rest of the relationships that you have in life kind of sort themselves out, right? When you find your security in your place in Jesus, and then if you have a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend and, and they're really not bringing honor and glory to God and how they're wanting to, to, to manage their, their relationship or their personal lives, or, or maybe there are things about them that you realize, man, this isn't, this isn't good spiritually, it's much easier for you to kind of pull out of that relationship because your whole world isn't going to collapse. You're going to be very sad. You're going to be brokenhearted. You really like that person, but you're whole world doesn't fall apart because the center of your world isn't a person. The center of your world is Jesus Christ. Guys, that's so important. I could talk about that the rest of the day, but we need to get on with King Lemuel's mother's uh, advice to her son. So in effect, what she's saying is this. Don't use your power, Lemuel, to serve yourself. Yes, you're a king. You can, you can gather a bunch of women around, and, and, and if that impresses your friends, great. You can have a bunch of people that are trying to get something from you that make you look impressive. But don't use your power to just serve yourself. There is a greater purpose for your life. And then she talks to her son about the danger of distractions. Because she recognizes that for a king... There are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of things that can kind of cut in. And, and one of the things that she talks about is, is the fact that he can be easily distracted by, by alcohol, really. She says, it's not for kings, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire beer. Otherwise, they will drink, forget what is decreed, and prevent, uh, pervert justice for all the oppressed. Nearing this period of time, well, actually a little bit later, a few hundred years later, there's going to be one of the great kings of one of the ruling nations of the world. His name is Belshazzar, and uh, we, we know of his name just because he's a part of the story of Daniel, but history knows of his name as a little bit different character. He was the grandson of the great Nebuchadnezzar, who was the, 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 the leader of the, uh, of the Babylonian uh, empire, and this is an impressive empire. Uh, archaeologists are now just starting to kind of pull back the sand in Iraq and realize just how impressive this guy's empire had been. And Nebuchadnezzar pretty much conquered most of the known world and had taxed Egypt in the submission, right? So this is a very powerful, motivated uh, military and political leader. But 
His grandson was nothing but a party animal. And if you know the story, you know that while his grandson is holding a great big party, the book of Daniel tells us the most complete tale of this, the Medo-Persian Empire led by Darius had, had formed an attack. So while they're inside the walls of Babylon partying, outside the walls of Babylon, there was a gigantic army comprised of two of their greatest enemies, the Medio, the Medes, and the Persians, had come together, and they were encamped around Babylon, and he was so out of touch with what was going on outside of the walls that he thought his city was unconquerable. And what Darius had them do is simply to dam up the river that flowed at that time through the city of Babylon. And when they did that, the water dropped off and it revealed a giant gateway um, that had, the river had once flowed through. And Darius just marched his army straight through the riverbed into the city of, of Babylon and conquered the city before daylight. Now, that's probably not the first time that kind of story happened. And this mom goes to her son and says, son, you need to be careful about distractions. She mentioned a big one. This is not, this is still a problem in our world, isn't it? I, I, you guys, most of you have heard me preach. You know, I'm not very fond of alcohol. In fact, I hate alcohol. Um, I've done a recovery meeting for about 18 years. And so every Monday, I have guys and gals that come in and, and a lot of them have lost a lot of things in life because of alcoholism. And so I have a very negative kind of viewpoint of this, but we all understand exactly what this mom is talking about. And the Bible kind of reinforces that in a lot of places. Because she said, otherwise, you, you drink and then you, you forget who you are. How many terrible mistakes have people made when they're under the influence of some kind of a substance? I've seen people say things that they would have never said if they weren't using drugs or alcohol. I've seen people do things that they would have never done if they weren't under the influence of drugs and alcohol. I've seen people become people that they weren't when they were sober. And so it's super important in Lemuel's mother's heart for her to warn her son about this. And I, I throw that out there for every one of us today. I think we need to be careful about anything and everything that clouds our judgment. A few years ago, I had a good friend that uh, had a pretty major injury. And uh, he was given some pretty strong opiates at that time. That was how that people dealt with that. And, uh, and he started taking them. And uh, it was wonderful because he was pain-free, right? And you can imagine that, that if you've been hurt severely, you know how wonderful that is. The problem was is that slowly those opiates began to take away his life. And, and thank God he recognized that. He just recognized, I am not the person I used to be. And he told me something I thought was really, really pretty profound. He said, if I have to hurt every day and be with it, that's how he put it, with it, it's worth it to me. He said, if, if, if I'm going to be out of my head, but I'm not hurting, what kind of a life is that? And, that? and that's really what Lemuel's mother is saying to him. Lemuel, you have something more important in your life than partying with your friends. You have more important things to do than to forget the cares and concerns of this life and just to pass a good time right here. Lemuel, you are the leader of God's people or these people, and you have a responsibility. And if you aren't clear-minded, you might mess that up. You know what? That same thing's true for all of us today, isn't it? We have a responsibility. If you're a Christian here, you have a responsibility to be an ambassador for Christ. You're to carry the message and the lifestyle of Christ into the world, just like we talked about earlier on. Don't let anything, I don't care what it is, mess that up. 
She goes on to say to give beer to those who are dying, and I don't think that she's at all talking about having like a free beer for the dead and, and broke people in the world. She's using sarcasm right there. She really is, because most of those people, um, part of it is that she knew that was medicine, um, but the other part of that is she knows that a lot of those people were the ones that were out scrapping and working hard. They were sober-minded because if they weren't sober-minded, they weren't going to survive, and she wanted to keep her son grounded. The third thing that she did and then we'll use this as our last thing, is that she properly, she taught her son to properly use his influence. Properly use one's influence. Moms are influencers, aren't they? <laughs> uh, they have a way of uh, influencing their kids. I, one of the stories I love in the life of Jesus is when Jesus hasn't even started ministry yet. They go to a wedding feast in Cana, and somebody didn't plan well, or more people showed up, or I don't know what happened, but they ran out of, out of wine. And so there's no wine um, for the wedding feast. And uh, this is going to be a catastrophe because, as you know, if there wasn't enough to drink, then the people were uh, not going to be able to continue the feast. They couldn't really drink the water. So what happens? Mary, <laughs> Mary ends up coming, and, uh, and she, she ends up going to Jesus and saying, you need to do something about this. And Jesus argues back, says, no, it's not my time yet. And she tells some other people, do what he says. <laughs> you know, she knew she had influence on Jesus. Now, Jesus pushed back uh, later when, when he came with his sisters and, and brothers and, and uh, to, in the family. Uh, Jesus said, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Those who do the will of my father. He was trying to let the world know, I'm not partial to my mother just because she's my mom. Anybody who is faithful, I am going to be partial to them. But uh, we, we, we know that moms have influence, don't they? And, and, and Lemuel's mother is going to use her influence to try to steer her son to do something important in life. Notice what she says in verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who have no voice. For the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. She said, Lemuel, I don't want you to get distracted by optics. I don't want you to gather a whole bunch of, of people that are on your fan club and women to make you look like you're a powerful ruler. I don't want you to get distracted by a lot of, a lot of, a lot of substances and just by having a party lifestyle and just enjoying what it means to be king. Lemuel, you have a purpose. Your purpose is to speak up for those who don't have a voice. You're the ruler. And in that time, the king wasn't just the figurehead, but the king was also the judicial system, right? And so he said, she says to her son, look, you have a right. You have a, you have a job to speak up for people who can't speak up for themselves. You have a, have a responsibility to bring justice to those who justice has not happened for yet. You have a job to speak up and judge righteous, righteously and to defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. Mothers have the ability to see in their children things that no one else can see and inspire their children to accomplish things that no one else may inspire them to do so. I have to speak personally, but my mom had... I saw in this crazy little kid when, when I showed up. I'm sure I gave her a lot of stress. In fact, I know I did. But she saw in this crazy little kid that there was potential to do something bigger than what probably most people thought was possible. And I've accomplished, by the grace of God, a lot of what I've been able to do in the world because I know she believed in me and she expected me 
to live above what some other people thought uh, I was able to do. And, and I think that's phenomenal. Thomas Edison's mother, if you know anything about Thomas Edison's mom, her, Thomas Edison's teacher sent him home from school and said he's too dumb to learn. She said, well, if that's the case, then I'm just going to teach him. And she taught the poor kid. Thomas Edison, turns out, was probably autistic, but he was the most prolific inventor of the 20th century. He made all kinds of things. Once that brain started working, his potential was fully realized. She saw that, and King Lemuel's mom sees the same in him. Whenever I think about legacy, I always think a little bit about Lillian Carter. Lillian Carter is the mother of Jimmy Carter, who was the president of the United States in the late 70s, early 80s. And to be honest with you, Jimmy Carter was a terrible president. Some of you who are alive at that time, you remember that. There was a misery index printed in the newspaper. Inflation was out of control. Jobless numbers were way up there. It was a mess. Um, but uh, Jimmy's dad was a peanut farmer, and he was very successful. And he had taught Jimmy uh, the value of hard work which, was, which is, is a really important thing. I, I, years ago, I read his biography. It's called An Hour Before Daylight. And the dad got everyone up. The dad and mom got everyone up in the house an hour before daylight, and they went out and did chores. And that's just kind of how he grew up. And it wasn't because he had to have them do that. They were fairly wealthy. It was because he wanted to teach his kids that kind of work ethic. But Lillian was a nurse. And, and she cared for people in that community that no one else would care for. That was a time where there was a lot of racial segregation still uh, in the South, and, and some doctors just wouldn't, nurses wouldn't care for people uh, that were in the African-American community. She, she would. In fact, she made a purpose of going out sometimes in the middle of the night to help out these people, and she would bring along her son with her. He learned from his mother not the value of hard work so much, but the value of compassion and caring. And I told you that Jimmy Carter was a terrible president, and that's true. But Jimmy Carter probably has been one of the best ex-presidents we've ever had. Because when he left the office, he knew he left it as kind of a failure. But he decided, my life isn't over yet. I want to do something that matters. And he decided to start a program called Habitat for Humanity that now builds homes for people who are, are veterans, people who are dealing with physical handicaps, people that have been set back in life, people that would never be able to themselves have a home. The, he organized a, a group of people that organize a community uh, of people within a community to go and build that person a home. It's a beautiful program. I'm sure there's bad things about every big program, but the core of that program is a wonderful program. And, and it's because his mom had such a powerful connection. He said, I knew after the presidency that I had failed my father because his father was successful. But he said, I knew that if I made the world a better place, I would never fail my mother. She had instilled in her son probably even a deeper and more powerful moral to make this world a better place. And that's exactly what God has called all of us to do. That's why Jesus came into the world. And as we close, I want to share Luke, the fourth chapter with you. And this is Jesus as he's returned to his home church in Nazareth, if you will. He's in the synagogue there, and he gets out a scroll from the book of Isaiah, and he reads a text. And, and the reason we're reading that this morning is because if you listen to this, it's the same sentiment as Lemuel's mother was pouring on to him. Jesus read this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim that the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee is here. When everyone else looked at him, waiting for him to continue reading or to give a sermon for the day, 
He simply said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here was this Old Testament text about this person that was going to come and transform the world. And Jesus said, I'm here to do that. And the amazing thing is, is that as Jesus left, that assignment didn't just fall as being done or no longer needed. Jesus passed that responsibility on to you and I. He said, I want you as my children to go into the world and I want you to preach to the people who don't have an idea about the truth. I want you to proclaim freedom for those people who are caught in the bondage of sin and slaves to those, those, those fleshly desires. I want you to open the eyes of those who are blind, who have never really seen life for what it really is, and to release the oppressed and to proclaim that God's favor is here. It's what Jesus did. But we've been called to do the same thing in our world today. And mothers who inspire their kids and people who inspire students to do those kinds of things in the world make a bigger difference than they might ever, ever imagine. We don't really know how the story of King Lemuel ends, except that we know that King Lemuel appreciated this message that really no one else could give him enough that he decides to write about it. And somebody somewhere somehow looked at that and said, you know what, that belongs in this group of wise sayings that we're collecting that we're going to call Proverbs. And now three or 4,000 years after they have lived, we're sitting in a church service on a Sunday morning and we're reading this good advice from a good mother to a receiving son, telling him, don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. Make the world a better place for the glory of God. That's a job that every one of us can do. And every one of us needs a cheerleader. And if you're that kid's cheerleader, praise God that you're in their life. If you're not that cheerleader, find someone to prop up. <laughs> find someone to cheer on. Uh, because that's really the meaning and purpose of so much of what we do. If there's any of us here this morning that recognize, you know what, I, I've really not started a relationship with Jesus and I need to do that, you know that you're always welcome to do that. The waters of baptism are always ready. And it's a beautiful moment when you pass beneath the waters of baptism, your sins are washed away, you're filled with the Spirit, and you're able to leave and, and live a life that's brand new and different. If there's anyone here today that maybe just has a need and they need to talk with somebody, Mr. Jody and I are here, McKay is here, Brad is here, we'd be happy to sit down and visit with you. There's a number of other people that are present. We would like to like, sit down and have that conversation before you leave today.